Mana 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 this is social discasting welcome to social discasting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon hope you're well my guest is a writer director editor actor musician who is a founding member of the sketch group the birthday boys whose isc show is truly hilarious as well as a member of the awesome band the sloppy boys please welcome jeff dutton welcome hey brandon what's up not much how are you? I'm fine. <laughs> Just that is a, a version of my noted question that's truly original to me of, how are you? I mean, does anyone say fantastic? That's never been a thing, I don't think. And if they do, it's definitely more sarcastic. As it's, it's in jest, yeah. Yes. But how are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. I am uh, pretty stable, I suppose. So I'm, I'm thankful for it pretty often that yeah. uh, I'm more stable than a lot of people right now. It's funny, like, just to be, you know, monetarily, like, okay, and emotionally, psychologically okay right now, has never felt like more of a luxury to me. Not that you can prepare for that, you know, but, like, average, I guess, is where I'm at, and that that's all right. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, there's just a lot going, I mean, you, I'm sure it's, everything I'm about to say, I feel like has been said by every guest you've had so far. <laughs> I mean, who's to say? Let's but, find you, out. You know, like, uh, I feel like there's so much going on on so many fronts that uh, it just makes you kind of uh, grateful for what you have. And uh, it's humbling to see the real sort of spectrum of human experience right now. It's just all over the place. Absolutely. Like, um, early on, you know, when this all started and then kind of the realization of this isn't going away anytime soon, I was trying to, to bright side it, which is, I feel disgusting just saying that. I tried to bright side this situation, but I was just thinking about like, because I can't think too far into the future because A, it feels impossible because I truly like more than ever impossible to even guess what that is. But also because it just feels like soul crushing to think that based on where we've been and where we are, let alone like kind of where we're going. But trying to think of what good, if any, can come from this. And I do think this definitely is going to help me. It has helped me and help others kind of realize what true priorities are for each of us. Yeah, totally. What we love more, especially when things that have never been not a constant in our lives have been taken away. And I'm like, this is a weird kind of interesting way to kind of... um get a mental inventory and kind of contextualize things. I'm so excited to see the ways in which this is reflected in media going forward. And I think the, the everyone's first instinct is going to be like, oh, we'll have TV shows where there's COVID and stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about like how the, you know, like the Nolan Batman movies are like post 9-11 movies. And, yes. And like... There are just these sort of strange ways in which like these themes that we all sort of went through due to 9-11 or whatever else started popping up in movies about like state surveillance and uh, whatever else. But I feel like this uh, quarantine has been so much a part, more, more of a part of everyone's lives that there's no way to predict the ways that we're going to see media change and and like life change. I think it's for everything bad that's happened, we've definitely kind of peeled back the carpet and shown all the grody, uh, yeah, the nasty stuff underneath. And we've seen that, you know, there isn't actually a safety net and where you are kind of on your own, even though America is rich on the surface. It'll be interesting. 
it's interesting, you know, thinking about it just as like a ripple effect. It's, you know, you have certainly all these, yeah, to your point, like these truly seismic things that have happened that caused those ripple effects, even or especially like to your point, like like culturally and in general. But this is the biggest one in our lifetimes. Yeah. By far. And it's still happening. Like, I'm very curious. Yeah kind of how that's going to manifest itself and in what ways. Because I think it's going to, I will say, I think it's going to create some damn good art. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that means exactly, but I think once we've all gotten past that shock factor and, you know, we're still in it, but it's going to inspire people for better yeah. or worse. And it, it kind of puts you in a pressure cooker too where we're like, you know, you have time to do these things. And yeah. it's not the easiest circumstances to be making any art. I know everybody when COVID first happened was like, finally, I'll, I can write my, my manuscript, my masterpiece or whatever. Yeah. And it turns out if you're like at all sensitive, this is a terrible time to be trying to make anything. But, you know, uh, I, I had to do the Sloppy Boys album when COVID first hit. And it was kind of good to have a project that demanded my attention. And we had like a release date we had to hit. So had you already recorded the tracks by that point? Yeah. Luckily, you know, there was that there was that sweet spot in like January, February. Yeah. Where where we could do things. And we'd recorded everything except for the drums because at that time I broke my foot and one of my ribs <laughs> falling in the shower. It's been covered on other podcasts. <laughs> I didn't realize though that yeah, it was that much of a an overlap. So you had to go into a studio isolated, right? To yeah. record the drum parts at that point? Right. So January, February, we recorded everything but the drums. And then I edited them basically to the point of being finished tracks, which I then, during COVID, found a place that I could drum to. I drummed to the tracks. <laughs> That's wild. Did that make you, like, having that, not the limitations, but, like, the different logistics involved, kind of a different... Similar parts, but just a different order in which you assembled it. Yes. Did that make you look at things differently, or how did that change your process? Well, truth be told, on the last two Sloppy Boys albums, we all just plugged in and went. Yeah. Uh, that's how we did the takes. And then there's some, you know, monkeying around in post where we're like, hey, we like the we like the verse, this chunk of the verse, we really nailed in take one, and we're going to put it in take three, which is the overall best take. Mm -hmm. Like that sort of Frankensteining. In this one, we recorded guitar and bass together, but we didn't have all that bleed with everybody playing together. So you had what a normal real band would do, which is have more isolated <laughs> tracks so yeah. you can get way more fancy. And so album three, even though it is more Frankenstein, we could we had a lot more flexibility in post where we could um, kind of chop it up. It's, it's a lot more chopped and screwed, which I can tell, but I hope other I hope the listener cannot. No, I wouldn't have known. Honestly, I, I know. <laughs> yeah, so you're welcome. You've got the Brandon seal of approval, so you can... I'll sleep easy. Please. If you need a pull quote, please, by all means, take it. Okay, great. But, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, even just knowing just that, that bit of backstory, though, about the drums and, and your, your foot injury, I, you wouldn't have known by any stretch. And the album's great. I fucking love it. Thanks, man. So good. Uh, we, I'm really happy with them. Like, uh, especially doing, doing three albums in three years felt like, Hey, that's ambitious, but t you know, time flies. Like, like you said, yeah. the, you know, this COVID, we thought it could be two months or whatever. And now here we are, I think seven months in, what are, what are we to date? Six months, I think seven months. We're nearing eight months at this point. Yeah. Which is just like, time doesn't even mean anything to me anymore at this <laughs> point. It's all, it's just a blur, honestly, like. It's not exactly an original thought, but it's just an absolute blur. Yep, it's true. 
Um, at least I feel like we're all kind of getting out of that first phase, though, which was just like self-preservation and panic. And yes, uh, I mean, that was a bummer with stores being picked over and and everybody just being like, OK, I guess I'm going to be like drinking during the week and I'm just going to like lift all self-imposed restrictions on like Postmates or whatever else or like jacking off three times a day or whatever <laughs> it is yeah. like like. People were just like, I just got to get through this shit. And then you realize you got to live with it. And now I think people are starting to figure out sustainable ways of living with this, which is you know depressing in its own way, but got to get through. I had that realization too, though, not that long ago, maybe like a month ago of just, it's like you're living day to day, week to week, and then it just adds up and you kind of blink and you realize, oh, this is just what life is for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And I need to continue to try to figure out some version of what my life was before this just adapted through this prism of a fucking pandemic. And so, like, I saw Friends for the first time, like, a month ago. Because I was just the trying show to... Friends? Like, Joe, Joey and Chandler? Yeah, you know what? They were really there for me, and it really made me feel good. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but I saw some friends of mine for the first time, and it's like you intellectually know, but then to actually experience that of, like, you need human contact. Good God, is it so unnatural to not have that because I just wanted to squeeze them to death because I hadn't seen them for so long. It was just a it human contact is required. Yes. So this is all so unnatural in that regard and a million others. And I think people are figuring it out too. Like I saw somebody post somewhere today that like the way to get through this is not to burrow and stick your head in the sand and like get the time to pass because that's yeah. what makes it feel like this just ocean of time. You really do need to force yourself to go do the things that you liked, even if they don't bring you as much joy as they used to. You still got to see people. Like I, last weekend, just drove to downtown LA on Sunday morning and was just like, I'm going to walk around somewhere different. I'm going to go to yeah. Little Tokyo and I'm going to get a boba and I'm just going to like walk around a different area. And it was so much better to start work on Monday and be like, I did a thing for myself this weekend that was not just sitting or sitting around <laughs> in the same three chairs in my apartment. It really does go a long way. Like um, this weekend, for example, I'm going, we have like a local film festival they're doing that's at a drive-in. Oh yeah. That's a great revelation. Drive-in is back, baby. What'd you say? I'm so excited. I'm go well, I'm going this coming Saturday actually. And it's like the Arkansas cinema society and it's them doing a four day drive-in movie theater based film festival. And the cool thing is that the movie they're showing Saturday is Nomadland, the Francis McDormand movie. Whoa. Okay. Which I'm like, holy shit. They think it's going to be up for like best picture. And it's from the writer director of Chloe Zhao of the writer from a couple years ago. Oh. Which, if you've not seen that, that movie is unbelievable. Oh, I haven't. That's great. It's so good. I'm over the moon about it. Like, I'm so excited. I love the movie theater experience so much, but I'm not going to a movie theater this year. Yeah. I just can't do it. And especially for, like, Tenet. Come on. <laughs> God, they are really trying to make that happen, and I think they've really shown their asses. Yeah. And also, I'm kind of... Chris Nolan needs to be, like, brought back to Earth a little bit. Yes, he does. Like, the same way that uh, Darren Aronofsky... People were sort of like, after the fountain, like, whoa, buddy, okay. And, <laughs> and he adjusted. And instead of getting, like, bigger and more metaphysical, he was like, okay, I'm going to do The Wrestler. It's about one dude, and it's going to be this intimate thing, and I'm going to crush it. And then he did it again with Black Swan. And I feel like uh, we got to do something like that with old Chris Nolan because all, all, these, all these, like, time 
premises and stuff. It was just like, he really was the perfect director for like a comic book movie because he brought way too much. He like went way too hard uh, <laughs> on like a Batman movie. And, yeah. I, and I love them. And then you give him free reign and, you know. I think he feels like he's topping himself, yeah. but I don't really know why. I will say that I loved Dunkirk. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Me too. I thought it was really, really interesting. Kind of an interesting like deconstruction of what those normally are. I loved it. I really did. But to your point, like I really miss Memento, Chris Nolan, too. Oh, I mean, oh, he's, fuck. He's, yeah, he's been Because doing... he's so unbelievably talented, you know? I'm like, I, I wouldn't, to your point, like want to see... I want to see a less is more Chris Nolan movie because it, it just is that he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and... I just find that increasingly less interesting. Yeah, I and you know I forgot that he did Memento, and that's absolutely a time fuckery movie. Didn't yes. he also do um, the Robin Williams uh, Al Pacino? Insomnia. Insomnia. Yeah, I saw that in theaters. That was the first one I saw of his, and I was like, "Holy shit, this movie!" And even like the Prestige after that. Yeah, Prestige is great too. He's wildly talented. But like af- after um, Inception, you know, we didn't need to go more in that direction. I feel like that was sort of like teetering on, you know, he just kept moving the goalposts with his rules and stuff. And then Interstellar, yeah. I was like, okay, so you do have to like be a scientist to like fully enjoy this? <laughs> I don't know. It feels like he's making a joke he doesn't realize he's making. <laughs> it's like everybody who is enough of a Nolan fan to kind of like understand, like contextualize like where he's been and where he's going and what he's doing. It almost feels like he's like winking at everybody, but he doesn't know he's winking at you. Yeah. You know, and... I say that, and I like I do want to see Tenant, but I do not want to die for it. Well, everybody I know that's seen it, I'm like, how is it? And they all sort of shrug, whether they're smiling while they're shrugging or yeah. frowning while they're shrugging. They're all just sort of like, well, I got to see it again, I guess. Like, I didn't... Everybody is just like, I enjoyed it or I didn't, and they didn't really get it, and uh, bums it me It feels out. like nobody I've talked to understands what happened. Yeah. And it feels like that movie was created... Like, they came up with the title of, like, it's a palindrome. And then he's like, I got the next movie. <laughs> and it's $300 million, and it's across seven continents. I also just don't like any movie that isn't intended to be enjoyed on the first watch. Like, yes. uh, I'm looking at you, Inherent Vice. I know everybody is like, you, dude, you gotta see it a second time. I'm like, guess what? No, I'm not going to. I rewatched it three months ago, I think. I mean, I probably should, and I would enjoy it, but I just have disdain for, like that sort of thing like call me crazy i think a movie should be enjoyable the first time even if it's more enjoyable the second time no i agree what do you think of like paul thomas anderson movies in general because i i know for me i mean this is not like a revelatory thing i think i think he's a truly brilliant filmmaker and i always say as a default that there will be blood is my favorite movie oh yeah i was hoping because it's unbelievable i remember it's funny i remember seeing that in the theater and as i was watching it this isn't within like 20 minutes of watching it, I thought, and this sounds so like almost wishy-washy, but I was like, oh, is this what it felt like for somebody to see like Taxi Driver in the theater when it came out? That's what I thought too. You know it's a classic in real time. Yep. And that's what I thought watching that movie. Yep. It just feels like so original and it's taking place in the past, but it's also really present. Yes. I think the movie that I thought of was like was like 2001 or something like that you know just like oh this is like an event picture that we're all seeing for the first time and oh my god and by the end it was like holy shit this movie (laughs) is like one of the all-timers walking out of the theater and then like the master leaving the theater i was like that was cool 
uh, I feel a little unresolved, which I'm sure is intentional, but I'm not leaving like I, f- I wanted to leave feeling like I felt leaving There Will Be Blood. I did too. That movie, I saw it with a friend of mine opening day, you know, I was stoked for it and everything. And it was a movie where like, I know this movie is like impeccably made and so like just everything about it across the board. What a director. But I hated it. Oh, really? Not the movie, but how it made me feel. It made me feel miserable. And I hated feeling like that while also understanding this is an incredible film. And I've rewatched it since. And I think it's unbelievable. And I love it. I really do. But it's daring you to to like it. Yeah. And I also remember wanting it to be like more on the nose L. Ron Hubbard and not yes. like and not like him kind of doing an L. Ron Hubbard like guy. I agree. How about Phantom Thread? Loved it. Me too, man. I loved, loved it. it. Day Lewis is indescribably just an absurdly incredible actor. I feel like they really get each other. Yeah, it's a good it's a good match, those two. The other day, I rewatched Punch Drunk Love, uh-huh. and I've watched it a couple of times since. It makes me so happy to watch that movie, but also to just see Sandler just really like dig his teeth into a role. Um, same thing with Uncut Gems. Oh, man, yeah. I know who gives a shit, but he should have not only been nominated, he should have won Best Actor for that. Because I think he yeah. fucking owns that movie. I, I mean, I, I loved I loved the movie, and I thought he was great in it, and I got like the... Some people really didn't like the sort of um, anxiety of it, but I felt like it was fun. I loved it. I mean, I, I think Good Time is a less fun version of the same sort of anxiety. Yes. Or like, I'm not like a film historian. I like fun poppy movies, but Cassavetes, have you seen um, Husbands? I'm not, you know, he's a blind spot for me. To yeah. where I'm like, I need to just deep dive all of his movies because it's just everybody's like, oh, that's that's cinema. And I just need to do that on my end. Yeah, I, I haven't seen much, uh, but uh, Husbands has that sort of like, it has that feeling of somebody like squeezing and twisting a balloon slowly where you're just like, oh God, it's going to like pop. <laughs> you know? See, and I love that, you know, like that's that reminds me of like just There Will Be Blood with that, the yeah. way it opens and the score, I guess the taxi driver compared comparison in retrospect was a little on the nose because the score is is truly what a score is supposed to be it's putting you in the mood of the film and it's fucking with you and that score for there we bud in my head i'm like oh is this what this is gonna be and it made me so excited you know yeah. i love stuff like that i like like if i'm gonna enjoy a movie too i'm like please manipulate me mess with me do whatever you need to do and i think uncut gems did it extremely effectively. Yeah. And and I, I loved it personally. Oh, you know what I noticed is that the music in Uncut Gems sounded like Akira. Oh, interesting. Have you seen Akira? Yeah. There's yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of that sort of like, this like really percussive, like, and it comes up several times in Uncut Gems. And I ended up like looking it up after the movie because I felt crazy. And they said that there was, I don't know if it was a composer or whatever, did name check Akira. So I felt very happy that i had spotted nice. it but um this reminds me of like une- uneasy movies mm-hmm. that are told by like masterful storytellers have this quality of being relaxing interesting like i was talking to my buddy the other day and he was like yeah man i was just so stressed out i at the end of the day i put on the shining and i completely got what he was saying because you know the shining is like a freaky movie but yeah. you, you feel like you are in the hands of such a confident storyteller that it's 
relaxing in a way. It's like I can let go. I'm in I'm in the hands of somebody who knows what they're doing. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Like you can you know you're gonna like appreciate it and respect it and like at the very yeah, least. Yeah, and like everything is perfectly handled. It's it's just note perfect. Even though that it's like trying to be a it's even though it's a horror movie. Yeah. Uh it just has this very controlled feeling that is kind of nice. My favorite director, I would say, is Fincher, and I have that with him. Yeah. To where I'm like, oh, I can get lost in this world. Like, I've seen Zodiac a bunch of times because I think it's just an absolute masterpiece. I think it's incredible. Mm -hmm. And I have that more recently of, like, more in the like last 15 years directors, but, like, Denny Villeneuve is oh, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Prisoners is one of my favorite. It's probably my favorite movie of that year. I yeah, think. Prisoners is... I mean, I haven't seen it since it maybe first came out, but yeah. I would say it's probably his best movie, right? Like, I think so. I like sci-fi stuff, and so I, I love that a guy like him is kind of digging deeper into into the sci-fi stuff. But Prisoners just felt like so present and so yes. taut the whole time. I was just like, man, this movie. But uh, I know I'm a fan of his because he said something about. Have you heard like what the trees were meant to be in that movie? The trees? Yeah, you know, because, like, the opening shot is them zooming in on, like, just a tree in this kind of forest. Hmm. And he said that the that the trees in the movie, because, like, they're always in the background, are meant to be silent witnesses to the atrocities Ooh. of what's happening around them. And for most directors, I would think that is such horseshit. But in my brain, I'm like, oh, I love that. That's artistry. Yeah, well, he's earned it. I mean, he's clearly not, he's clearly not fucking around, and uh, I think it makes sense that you know you mention him in the same breath as Kubrick. He, or, sorry, as Fincher, they both kind of like resonate together. Yes, they're similar dudes. It seems like. I agree, and he's one of those directors. Same thing with Fincher. I just love watching a movie, and you just kind of it clicks in your head where it's like, oh, they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And to your point, like about Kubrick, but just of like, oh, they know exactly what they're doing, and they are communicating everything they want to with this because they have complete control over their art form. And I love that so much. Yeah. I, I remember there was a Hollywood round, like a Hollywood reporter round table. Maybe it was yeah. variety. I don't remember where they had who played Mark Zuckerberg. Who's the nerd. Oh, Eisenberg. Yes. It was Jesse Eisenberg. And Oh God, who's the guy in secondhand lions who is, uh, Haley Joel Osment? Uh, Robert Duvall. Okay, Robert Duvall. Okay. And Eisenberg was saying that Fincher made them do like 100 takes of that at the beginning and it like melted his brain. And Robert <laughs> Duvall was like, that drives me crazy. That's the actor's enemy right there. You can't have somebody do that. And Eisenberg sort of defended him a little bit. But then I realized Robert Duvall, his daughter was Shelley Duvall, who was in The Shining, who was like famously abused by... Kubrick for his like doing a million fucking takes and like yelling at her in front of the crew. So I, I, uh, there's definitely, sense. definitely a dark side yeah. to it. But yes, they do have complete control. That is for sure. <laughs> That's true. I think too, like with Duval in general, like he strikes me as the type kind of three takes and he's good. He's just not a guy. I don't think he's ever given a bad performance or even gotten close to it. Yeah. Ever in his life. I want to ask you a question. Shoot. I watched your directing reel. Which is great, by the way. It's oh, great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I love the uh, uh, Royxcop song. Yeah. It's always made me like, just so happy. With a directing reel, though, it feels like a very complicated thing to assemble. Is it that you're 
this is what I do and this is what I hope to do? What are the thought process of that? Well, I'll tell you, I don't really know what I'm doing there. Um, I don't think anyone does. Yeah. I've never seen a real, I don't think a, a real exists where it's just like, yep, that got him the job. Maybe it, there is. You definitely do want to show the breadth of work that you've done in like a montage, but then you do also want to dip into like protracted segments. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like you do want yeah. to like check in on like a sketch for a little bit. And I always felt like the montage is not really what you're doing. Like when you hire a director, you should be seeing how they handle scenes. So, mm-hmm. so like chopping up like, Oh, here's a bunch of famous faces or like big visual gags. doesn't really seem like the thing to do, but I guess that, you know, everybody's sort of told me my managers or whatever, like, yeah, this is just your business card. This is like the first thing somebody sees about you and they just need to understand that like he does comedy or whatever. It's a basic proof of concept. Yeah. It's tip of the spear. It's really just yeah. like they can dig deeper after that. This is just like the immediate handshake. But I don't know. I've never really felt great about it. They're a pain to keep up. Every like six months to a year, I have to like go through and be like, oh, did I do anything that's like worth throwing in there? Mm-hmm. And so like that Royksop song, I've had it as my reel for <laughs> forever, for just like years and years and years. And uh, I've just been kind of like remaking my reel on top of it. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but I, I do still like the song. So thank God for that. Also, it's a great song. There's a, a great Royksop song that they use in um, the Dress Up Gang. Really? Have you seen Dress Up Gang? I'm not. Oh, dude, it's great. Okay. It's a TBS show that I think basically like never hit the air, but now since COVID is going, it's going, uh, or at least online, but a frequently used like last song in, a, in an episode, in not every episode, but a frequently used final song is like a Royksop song that I love. Okay. I'm, I just Googled that. This looks really interesting. Oh, it's it's great. Okay, I'll watch that for sure. It's funny, too, like the Roy Scott song. The song is happy up here, I think. Right? Yes. Uh-huh. It's a very self-fulfilling prophecy because it makes me so happy. Anytime I hear that song, it's just light and happy. And it, I like um, I like any just that electro, electronic kind of backdrop of the song, too. Yeah. It's just so goddamn good. I got to say, I, I kind of turned my back on like sad music a couple years ago. I've only been like sort of getting back into it slowly, but man, when that when that EDM stuff hit, I was pretty much I, I was sold. I, I was into <laughs> it. Like, give me just give me like driving happy beats. Not in like a I'm I'm not like an uns uns like yeah hard fest bro, but uh, I think there's really something to be said for music that you can kind of like have your own experiences to or have your own thoughts to. And just like positive, positive driving stuff I can listen to all the time. And so I've only now been getting back into like music with lyrics and like, uh, hey, a, a yeah. writer wrote this and it expresses how they feel. <laughs> yeah, I'm, it's weird. I've, uh, I've always been music before lyrics. Me like too. I'm really bad with lyrics. Me too. Like I've recommended songs to people for like an occasion or something. And then they're like, you know what the song's really about? And I'm like, oh, shit. No, I don't. It's always been that way. I don't really know why that is, and I feel like people tend to be one or the other. Dude, I've I'm done just that. really bad with lyrics. I've done that with girlfriends to terrible effect. <laughs> no kidding. Like, this was years and years and years ago, but I was listening. I was on a date with this girl, and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road came on, and I was like, this song's fucking awesome, and I cranked <laughs> it up, and it's just like the saddest. It's like not a good relationship song. Another one, different girl, 
was Daft Punk Something About Us, which is just like another just bittersweet song. But the lyrics I pay attention to like last. I'm so much Same. more of like a um a groove guy. Same for me. My brain has to break down. I go through breaking down all the levels of the music and then eventually my brain gets the lyrics. But I just don't always make it to the listen level of that that I've listened to so much that I get there. So they're just whole songs. I just have no concept of what they're talking about, but I love this song. Yeah, about a week after Wet Ass Pussy came out, I was like, what? <laughs> I just like the idea, too, of somebody like, I need to really digest these, and then they're reading the lyrics as if it's like a tone poem mm-hmm. of Wet Ass Pussy. Because <laughs> if you read the lyrics, it's somehow violent Dude, I love to it. read then. I, I think I, it's so good. I think it's a con- like... When that song came out, Sloppy Boys were on an email or on a text chain just being like, this is like a sketch comedy song. <laughs> like, there's what's the difference between this and like the, a parody of a pop song? It's, it's yes. so great. I think they did such a good job. More pop music should be that fun. Not even necessarily like that dirty, but like, hey, it worked. I, I love it. America loves it. Let's keep it rolling. <laughs> <laughs> I do genuinely love that song. And I think, I think the lyrics, I think it's just good like really fucking funny lyricism like it's really good it also just gets it just gets me going gets you going cuz it yeah it just hits hard i i think it's great you know and what? i just saw today funnily enough that that uh cardi b is trademarking wop and rightfully so make make that money yeah do it yeah i mean i guess that's it, you can copyright an acronym i guess so yeah. i guess because she used used it in that way and created it so Leonardo DiCaprio tried to trademark his own name at one point, and the part people were like, "No." Yeah, man, and that's a little I different. With the, he has a story where his managers or whatever starting out wanted him to change his name to like, God, I'm gonna look it up. Originally, they were like, "Oh, we can't sell a Leonardo DiCaprio." Okay, they originally wanted him to go by Lenny Williams. <laughs> That is... Wow, I hope he fired those people. See, it just doesn't have that prestige, does it? No, at all. Like, there's nothing... I mean, all respect to all the Lenny Williamses of the world, but there's nothing in any way dynamic about that oh, on any level. Lenny Williams. Yeah, I struggle yeah. I struggle with going by Jefferson. I was going to ask you, by the way, like, should I say Jeff or Jefferson? Because saying Jeff feels so... It feels so familiar where I in no way have that. Oh, sure you do. Oh, well, now, now 37 minutes in, call me whatever you want. Thank you, J-Dog. <laughs> Do you go, is it Jefferson or like differentiate? What was the choice on that? Well, it's my given name. It's it's the name my mama gave me. And so I think it's good to kind of cut through the noise professionally, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like on all my documents and all that stuff, I'm Jefferson. And generally, like, that's my credit. Like I'm credited as, credited as Jefferson. That said, everyone calls me Jeff. There are a couple people who kind of prefer to call me Jefferson, but it's rare. I feel like I'm in trouble if someone calls me Jefferson. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> it makes my butt clench up a little bit, like, ooh. Yeah, and now you've got Jefferson is in the cultural zeitgeist thanks to Hamilton, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I I kind of, tr- I, I treat it, or I think of it as like Samuel L. Jackson, for example. Yes. Nobody in that man's life calls him Samuel. It's all Sam Jackson up and down. But he's credited as Samuel L. Jackson, so I kind of figure I'll take a I'll take a card out of his deck. I have that with names, by the way, where I just there's some people that are so famous to where you just think of them as their full name like that, but then you realize like, oh, that's Sam, and it's kind of like, oh yeah, he's a Sam, because I just think full name, 
I don't think individually. I thought that the other day I was like, wow, it's wild that Glenn Close is named Glenn. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's wild. Like, I just have known her as Glenn Close, but it's like, oh, her name is Glenn. Her Interesting. Name is Glenn. Well played, Glenn. Well played. The only female Glenn I've ever met. I guess I have to meet her so I can say that too. Oh, right? yeah. No, I haven't met her. I just mean uh, seen, heard. There you you haven't met Alfred Nobbs? <laughs> <laughs> it always is wild to me too that she randomly just showed up as a dude to be put in the boo box in Hook. Oh, right. That's a weird cast because early in that too, a London detective is played by, uh, what's his name from Genesis? Oh, uh, Phil, uh, Phil Collins? Phil Collins, yeah. Oh, shit. What a weird movie on every conceivable level as it is. I forget that uh, Hook did not do well when it first came out. Like, I was the target demo, and I loved Hook. I felt like I everybody too. my age did. And then, you know, looking back at the reviews and stuff, Hook was decimated. Nobody liked that movie, but I do think that, yeah, to your point, like, our generation is like, oh, no, Hook's great. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I... I I don't like any kids' movies now anymore. And everybody's going to grow up being like, yeah, we love The Croods or whatever, yeah. Minions 2. Like, I think that too. And The Secret Life of Pets, I watched the first one. Yeah. And it's really funny. Oh, that's good. I mean, you know, there's good stuff. There's Pixar and all that. Oh, Pixar. Hey, speaking of Glenn Close, have you seen The Girl with All the Gifts? Oh, I've not, but I've heard it's really good. I'm, I'm a big fan of the 28 Days Later, Weeks Later yes, movies. Yes, and uh, some buddies of mine do a horror marathon every year. And one of them was The Girl with All the Gifts. And about 15 minutes in, I was like, this is essentially 28 months later. Like, it is absolutely, like, spiritually in line with those movies. It feels like the third of the, the, third of the trilogy. Oh, I've got to see that. And then. Glenn Close is in it. What is she doing in a zombie movie? <laughs> Man, you never know where Alfred's going to pop up. It's crazy. Okay, I need to see that then because I've, I've heard it's really good. It's great, and it's on Netflix now. you got to watch it. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. I do want to ask you one more thing. In your bio on your website, yeah. it says that you build arcade machines. Yes. True. What does that entail? Well, I'll tell you right now, it's kind of a heartbreaking story because my, oh, no. my very first machine, I was poking around online because a buddy of mine told me that people these days, 10 years ago, build their own arcade machines. And, you know, I was 25, and uh, I thought, like, this is my, like, 15-year-old dream come true. i got to figure out how to do this. Yeah. And so I started digging around, and, you know, I just, you get into, like, emulating using a program called MAME, M-A-M-E. That stands for, like, Multiple Arcade Machine Emulator or something. And uh, you can emulate all those old, like, coin-operated games. And uh, as I got deeper into the ra that rabbit hole, I found there was a bar going out of business... And they had a Ninja Turtles four-player cabinet. Ooh. And so I said, I'll take that for $400. And it also had a Simpsons in it. And so I took the, the boards out, and I kind of just like, this is something that I began. I began the journey before knowing that I could do it. And uh, I just kept reading and learning and tinkering. And I eventually put a PC inside this Turtles cabinet that could emulate like thousands of games. Mm -hmm. And I redesigned the control panel so that it would have, like, Street Fighter layout, the six buttons instead of just two. And I'm sorry to say that I moved it recently, and it doesn't turn on now, and I don't know why. So it's it's kind of a heartbreaking. Uh, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm just looking at this big, dumb, refrigerator-sized piece of machinery that I can't turn on now. But 
since since that time, I've made two others. I made a uh, a tabletop Miss Pac-Man. Oh, cool! And a miniature full-size Miss Pac-Man. So I got some arcades kicking around the house, but you know, it used to be used to be my thing. Not so much anymore. Yeah, I, I remember going to just arcades as a kid, and there was one of them too that where they had like the price tag on it. This could be yours for this price, and it felt like an unattainable thing. Like, no, that's not possible. Yeah, you know, because it's just so in my brain. Like, oh, this is housed in this place in the mall. So the idea of having it at your house, I'm like, oh, that's just, that's not a life that's possible to me. Yeah. And and you can still, you can buy them, but they're still expensive as fuck. Like, I really do think if, if you're interested in this sort of thing, anybody listening, and you're at all tinkery, you can learn how to make them for a fraction of the cost that you can buy them. Like, they sell Miss Pac-Man machines and like Turtles in Time machines for like for like a thousand dollars for multiple thousands of dollars it's crazy and you know they have arcade one up have you seen those oh yeah i think that they're kind of might it's be pretty clever it. little thing it's like uh not like tiny tiny but it's also not full size and you can buy them for like 300 dollars at walmart and you can assemble them in like 20 minutes oh shit yeah okay this is like maybe the best version of these that i've seen they have like all the classic titles for each one yeah. and it's very tempting there are 30 different ones i've wanted to buy yeah. It's really clever. They kind of put them in little collections, so it's like, oh, here's like the Marvel X-Men versus Street Fighter type cabinet or whatever. It's very smart what they do. Damn, these look good. I know. I know. I wanted to buy so many, including, I mean, even the Golden Tea one, I'm like, oh, that'd be great. An NBA Jam. It's really, really smart what they do, I think. Yep. Man, if I had like a, if I had a big place with like a garage, I would love to uh, just get a couple classic machines. Um, do you know Nathan Barnett? No. You heard of this dude? He's like uh-huh. a he's like a really funny dude. He was around UCB when we were and stuff. For a long time, he just kind of constantly had machines. He would have like you know six or eight in his garage, and he would get tired of one and sell it and buy a new different one. And it was like a lot of upkeep. I don't think he does it anymore, but he'd have parties at his house, and I'd just be like, "This is a dream come true." Play, That's playing fantastic. like like big games too. He would have like he would have like cruising USA and shit. Oh, cool. Yeah, pretty wild. I, I don't want to end this, but I need to end the show. That's all right. I get it. I know. God. Nothing personal. But is there anything you want to point people toward before we wrap it up? Oh, well, I mean, I assume anybody listening to this is aware. Maybe not. Check out the Sloppy Boys. That's my band with Tim Kalpakis and Mike Hanford, also from the Birthday Boys sketch comedy group. We put a lot of work into these albums. There's only three of them. And we don't know when we're going to get to do a fourth. So uh, we're happy we got the third one out the door and that we got a nice little trilogy on our hands. Are you still doing the, uh, what well, you did last week, the streaming on Fridays? Oh, yeah. We, we were doing these things called the, the Paradiso Zoom Room, named after our third album, Paradiso. And uh, every week we talk about a different track. And next week, or rather this Friday, is the last of the tracks. So tonight. Ooh, tonight. Yeah, I'll be releasing this Friday morning. So hey. tonight, the final one. If you want to check it out, follow at the Sloppy Boys on Twitter or Instagram, and we got the Zoom room probably in the link in the bio, or we'll give you the room code right there on the day. But uh, come hang out. We drink and talk, and we talk to people from all over this great nation of ours. It's really fun too. I, I went. I was in. Um, I could make it to the a couple of weeks ago. It's just a lot of fun. It's a hundred percent worth doing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a podcast, but we like to be able to talk to people. Yeah, you know, so we can like the three of us have live mics, but then we can like light up whoever we want, whoever's kind of doing something interesting. It's nice. Yeah, it was, it's really cool. And we want to find a way to keep doing them. It's just uh, we'll probably take a break after these ten. Yeah, I'm excited to see what what iteration it comes in next. Yeah. But um, 
Dude, thank you. This was so fun. Brandon, I love thanks, this. man. I hope I wasn't uh, too complainy about the old uh, quarantini. No, not at all. I assume everybody is. If anything, I was pretty offended that uh, you were just so hard on my best friend, Chris Nolan. But, you know, even I had some criticism for him. I think he needs to hear Chris, it. Chris, if you're listening, buddy, we love you, dude. <laughs> thank you again. This is so fun. Of course, man. Thank you all for listening. Just wear a mask. Be kind. Be empathetic. But these are normal things. So thank you and goodbye. Bye.